Well, today I want to start uh, today's message, and I'm going to dive right into it. I have been waiting on uh, teaching this sermon series really since before I came to New Song Church. This is something that I prayed over um, three months ago as we were making inroads to seeing this is what God uh, would have us be part of. And I want to say that to give you some context, uh, because there is a church aspect to this sermon series, like there always has been, but a little bit more in this sermon series, because this, this, this has a lot to do with the theme in the book of Nehemiah about rebuilding. And uh, for some of you guys that have been here for a long time, it's not new news to you. Uh, for some of you that may be a little newer to New Song, there's a lot happening behind the scenes uh, here at New Song Church, and so many wonderful leaders and people and volunteers making it happen. Uh, from practical things, like if you noticed that uh, someone replaced the carpet tiles that were stained in the, on the entrance of our auditorium, and you're like, it was, you know? Yes, it was. Practical, small things like that. Um, two, spiritual things like an emphasis on prayer over the last 45 days at New Song Church. And we want to do both. In fact, the book of Nehemiah talks about restoring and rebuilding two things in the lives of God's people. One is the physical things, and second is the spiritual things. If you're someone who likes God to move in the physical things, you may be asking God for bigger uh, things. There's nothing wrong with that. God loves to bless us. He's a good father. But you may be praying prayers like, God, if you gave me a bigger home, I will have all of the people in our church come through. But at the same time, you have a home and not even your neighbors know who you are because every time you drive by, you just hit the garage button, go right into the garage and hit the garage button again and you never see anybody. Uh, you may be someone that says, God, if you just bless me a little bit more, I will give it all away to charities and to the church and to missions. Yet with what you have, you really don't give it away. I'm speaking to myself as well. God's challenging me to be even more of a giver when it comes to giving. Believe me. You may be in a place where you're all about the spiritual things, and you just love it, the depth of the Word and the worship and Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And every time you go into your prayer time, you can't wait for revelation, but really helping somebody down the road, I don't know. I just want to go to my Christian bookstore, go to my seat in church, and just be left alone. But Nehemiah, in a lot of ways, addresses the people of Israel, like I believe, um, it's a, similar to where we're at today, is that we need to be both physical and spiritually, physically and spiritually ready for what God wants us to do. Now, I'm not talking about your um, 
workout routines, even though maybe all of us can admit that we do need to work out a little bit, amen, that, uh, that having, a, um, having a good workout regimen is good. I'm not talking about the fact, you know, I had a, it's an unchurched person once come to church and uh, asked me, and I've heard this pastor once say this too, he said, you know, when I, when I go to hell, if I smoke, uh, this is the question, you know. And I said, um, probably not. I mean, if your heart's right with God, but uh, you probably go to heaven, but you're going to go there faster. <laughs> so if you want to live a short life, you can keep smoking. And uh, sometimes we remove these things, you know, because of our personality type. And we remove these um, ways of thinking, and we think that the gospel is one thing only. If you're more geared towards social justice, you will say the gospel is all about doing good. If you're more towards eternity, you will say that it's all about being spiritual and feeding yourself and getting spiritually fatter. But Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, what's interesting is that when he got a hold of what God wanted to do through his life, he knew it was both. It had to be practical and spiritual. There had to be something that's done in life today, and there's something to do with God spiritually. In a lot of ways, I find myself in in Nehemiah's shoes a lot of times, in a place where you have so many decisions to make, which one do you choose? Do you do the more practical thing or do you get on your knees and pray? In what order? This sermon series is called Ordinary People, Extraordinary God for a Certain Reason. Because the truth is, all of us have been given an assignment, not just for our church, but for your life. And we're all ordinary people, but we have to learn that God is an extraordinary God that uses ordinary people. How many of you guys have heard uh, of the name Michael Jordan? Yeah? Oh, yeah. If you don't. Man, this is a real quiet crowd today. Y'all got to snap out of it, okay? (laughs) Michael Jordan is an iconic basketball player. In fact, there's a big argument about him being the greatest basketball player ever compared to... I must be in Cleveland or something, you know. So who's the greatest basketball player? Oh, and I knew it. I knew it. I knew you guys were going to say LeBron. You know, the truth is, (laughs) we got a Michael fan. The truth is, Michael Jordan surpassed his generation in how good he was. We still have to find out how LeBron's going to do in the future. I remember in seventh grade, when in Kuwait, the first time I saw a basketball net get rolled in into my neighbor's home in middle school, and he puts in this little Filipino kid, he puts in in the VCR, 
and it's this video about Michael Jordan. I remember him seeing him fly across the screen with his tongue out. I mean, just amazing. Just taking off, and you're just like, man, I'm counting till 30, and the dude is still flying. Pretty extraordinary person. Pretty extraordinary individual. Pretty extraordinary hero to some people. Some people have dedicated their lives to a sport based on one individual's performance. See, sometimes when we uh, play basketball, and some of the guys and I, we play basketball here, and um, every now and then I'll get hurt because I love basketball. I will do anything to play a little basketball. In fact, I got an injury a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm hobbling, and I'm still wondering if they're going to play basketball one of these days, you know, so I can jump in and get injured again. But I do know this one thing. No matter how much I try, no matter how much I shoot buckets on Eric Thomas and hit game winners, I will never be like Michael Jordan. I will never be like him. I can't be good enough. See, a lot of times when we approach Bible stories and sermon series, we have a tendency to look at these characters and think, but that's like, that's like being Michael Jordan. I can't ever be like Nehemiah. I can't be like Peter or Paul. I can't be like these great men and women of God. I'm just ordinary. I'm here to tell you that these were pretty ordinary people. They were ordinary, but they served an extraordinary God. They were ordinary, but they said, to, yeah, they said yes to God's plan, not their own. The book of Nehemiah was about Nehemiah going back to his people and helping them rebuild the walls that were broken down, that were torn down, that were on fire to protect the temple they had just built. He was an ordinary person. In fact, he was a cupbearer to the king. And cupbearers back then, they weren't a big deal. They were the cupbearer because they got to taste the wine just in case there were some poison in it before the king had it. You were pretty expendable. He was an ordinary person. He had nothing special about him. We know when he's afraid in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. We know when he's angry, Nehemiah 5, verse 6. We see him breaking his own narrative down many times in this book. In fact, it reads more like a journal. How many of you guys keep a journal? This book is written like a journal. Some of you guys are like, I don't like writing a journal, but I like reading other people's journals, you know? <laughs> that kind of makes me interested. I want to challenge you, I want to challenge you to read the book of Nehemiah during this sermon series. 
Look, I know I've spent 10, 15 minutes introducing this. I know what I'm doing. I want to challenge you to get practical in what you hear on Sunday mornings. I want you to raise your expectation every time you go in your prayer time with God to say, He can use you. He can do important, special things through you, not for your name's sake, but for God's. See, God has a vision for your life. Do you know what that vision is? God has a vision for your life. Do you know what that vision is? See, we want to be better people, but God has not called us to be better people. He has called us to be in love with Him and to figure out His purpose and His plan for our life. Before we can do anything significant in our family, we have to have a vision for our own life. Before you can do anything significant in your church, you have to have a vision from God for your own life. You may have heard this quote before. It says this, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Are you called today or are you just attending? Are you called today or are you just Christian by name? Are you called for something greater than what you're doing? And if that's to you, say amen. I can think of so many examples in my life that the cobwebs of disappointment, disbelief, and disagreement have left destiny dreams on the shelves of the pantry called my boulevard of broken dreams. And we just go by it in our kitchen like we do. How many of you guys remember maybe when you first moved into your home and you're like, well, there's a real good pantry in here. How many of y'all want a pantry in your kitchen, a nice big pantry? The only problem is once you move into a home, your pantry is not organized. It's just stuff, just piled upon stuff, piled in there. It's a place where you hide everything in the kitchen. And so much of what God does and wants to do in our life, sometimes because of broken dreams, because people have hurt our feelings, because maybe you didn't really allow God to do something, maybe you thought it was going to happen this way, all of these things, we just kind of put it into this closet, this pantry. We're like, God's not going to use me. I'm just too average. I don't have my stuff together. I'm here to tell you. God can, and He will. God awakens ordinary people to accomplish His extraordinary plans with a heavenly vision that comes when you, get this, do something. Now, if you're just sitting at home and sitting in church waiting for everything to come to you, you're like watching Monday Night Football eating peanuts and stuff just falling out about you. God, use me. Use me, Lord. And you're just flipping channels, and that's all you ever say. Nothing's going to happen because a lot of this is practical too. Sometimes it's not spiritual. Sometimes it's getting off the couch and doing something. 
You know, do something about the injustice you see around you. Why you got to wait for the pastor? Why you got to wait for a church program? Why you got to wait for t-shirts to come out saying we're against injustice? Why you got to need a hashtag and be famous about it? Do something about the injustice you see around you. Do something to make a difference in the world around you. Do something in your family to restore hope and order. Stop trying to preach about it all the time. Do something. You know what I mean? Sometimes, even as a pastor, uh, you know, when I'll connect with somebody, I'm just like, man, you don't need counseling. You just need to do something. You don't need someone to listen to you again. What are they going to say? Hey, when are you going to do something? I don't really want to force you to do something, but when are you going to do something? And you're going to pay $125 an hour to tell someone to tell someone your problems, then they will tell you you're not doing it. You're not communicating better to your spouse. You need to communicate better. You need to be open. You can't just leave your home without telling nobody if you're married. What are you doing? Of course your wife is going to think you're doing something crazy. I know. I know. I knew. This is why I had that long intro (laughs) to give you some context. We have to learn that in order for God to use ordinary people, you have to be somebody that is used to doing something for the Lord. That's the key. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to be gifted. You don't even have to look good. Ask David. You can be the runt of the family outside of the chosen ones getting about to get anointed. All you got to do is do something. I want you to smack your neighbor and tell him, do something. That's the message entitled today. It's called do something. God has a vision for your life. And in this sermon series, here's what we're going to do. Every week, we're going to have practical takeaways. We're going to have practical takeaways of what God is teaching us through this book. We're not just going to go ahead, because you guys know me. How many of y'all know I love a good altar call? My goodness. I love that, you know, when Kunle's playing or Rachel's playing or whoever's playing, and we're just packing up this place. I was here at prayer all of last month, guys. I love praying. I love preaching. I can't wait till this band is full and we start dancing around here because it's new sound system and we get, all, get it going. I love it. One day we'll have an organ on here and it's going to go down. But, but, here's the deal. If you're going to do all of that and you leave this church, and you go home, and you're not living right, and your life's a mess, and you don't have any margin in your life, you don't have any margin in your finances, your whole family can't stand you, you can't stand your kids, your kids can't stand you, is there a point? Why were you wasting your calories on Sunday morning? We have to have a vision for your life. This book is about rebuilding not just our church, 
but it's about rebuilding our lives. And here's our first takeaway I want us to, to incorporate in our personal lives. The first is this, rebuild with a vision from God. Rebuild with a vision from God. What is the vision? It is a purpose and a direction to a God-intended future. That's what a vision is. See, so many of us can't see our lives better. Would you ask God to show you? So many of us can't see a miracle happening for us. Would you ask God to show you? So many of us don't see our marriages coming back together and being healed and restored. Would you ask God to show you and work with purpose and direction towards that God-intended future? Rebuild with a purpose. Rebuild with a direction. Stop being all over the place. One second you're passionate about this, and next second you're over here. Next second you're walking down the street and telling somebody else something else. You're just all over the map. Get focused. Rebuild with one purpose and one direction, and God can give you that direction. And if you listen to what he is saying, he can accomplish great, extraordinary things through your ordinary life. See, God has not called you and I to do good things. See, I didn't put this on your notes or on a slide because I was afraid some of you guys are going to put it on social media and it was going to be taken out of context. God has not called you and me to do good things. He has called me and you, you and me, to do God things. And God is good, and therefore we accomplish good things. There's a difference. When you're in God's will for your life, guess what the byproduct is? Good things, not because we're good, but because God is. We got it all twisted. We think we need to do something in the sense of be good, but we need to say yes to God's vision for our lives. I love this quote, visions are born in the soul of a man or woman who is consumed with the tension between what is your current reality, and what could be. Can you imagine? Maybe we got about 75, 80 people in here. If all of us just recognize where we're at today, and we ask God, show us what you have for us, and all of us individually, corporately, as a church, as families, move towards that direction. You, do you think that that would impact this city? You think it would impact our world? Yes. So what's stopping us? I believe in all reality, it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. Some of us would rather live a life that is known and what you can get every day that is predictable than given to God for an unpredictable, extraordinary life. Some of us need to recognize that we have to put away empathy and mediocrity in order for God's best to be part of our world. What does that look like? 
That's saying yes to God and no to just sitting around. We have been given 24 hours a day. What are you doing with your time? I mean, God, use me. Use me across the world. God, call me to preach good news. What if I just decided I'm just going to stay in Canada? It's going to preach the good news in my living room. I'm going to sit there and tweet out and put YouTube videos out there. That's all I'm going to do. There's nothing wrong with that. That's all I'm going to do. God, bring me the hundreds and thousands that you promised. You think it's going to happen? No. God has a purpose and a plan, and it takes work. Do you hear God's calling for your life anymore? Do you hear his voice anymore? Do you hear his tug that he wants his best for you? He wants you to flourish. He wants you to change and become the man and woman that God has destined for you. Do you feel that anymore or is it just all convoluted? Do you recognize his desire for you? Or does that heart just so hard you don't feel anymore? Just been so beat up in church and in the world you don't feel anymore. See, Nehemiah wasn't even in the promised land. He wasn't in the promised land. See, what was happening in chapter 1 and in this book is that Nehemiah's people, the people of Israel, because of their disobedience, they were sent to exile in Babylon by God for for their disobedience. Some of them escaped and went back to the province of Jerusalem and Judah, and they rebuilt a temple, but the temple used to have a wall around it. And so when Nehemiah is in Babylon, he says, hey guys, how is the remnant doing? How are those guys doing that escaped and went back home? And the news comes in, in Nehemiah Chapter 1, I want you to read along with me. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said... O Lord, God of heaven, the great, awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And for the next six verses, Nehemiah prays and pours himself before God. In verse 11, he says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of 
this man now, I was cupbearer to the king. I love that about Nehemiah. He wasn't just sitting there praying, God, all this stuff that's going on back home, would you please stop it? Would you just send a lightning bolt and take out the enemy so they don't need a wall? God, I just pray right now here. Would you just send resources to them to go ahead and build a wall? He didn't say, God, would you just rescue them and keep them safe while we're all here? No, he said, now I was cupbearer to the king. That is the most random little piece of information at the end of chapter 1. If you have a paper Bible or a Bible app, you can see it. That is the last sentence. Why would a man pray for an entire chapter and end with one statement that says he is the cupbearer to the king? You guys ready? Point number one, because Nehemiah knew that he had to look within himself. So we have to understand that if God is going to do something in your life, if you are going to grab a vision from God for your life, it starts with it starts with you. It starts with me. It doesn't start with anybody else. And here's the reason why. Because without our decision to make a difference in our own life, we will always say yes to complacency and mediocrity. This is why I say that mediocrity breeds complacency. Some of us are so used to things not being in order in our lives. We're so used to being mediocre. We're so used to saying yes to things that are half, you know, like I like half lemonade, half tea. I really like, but pastor, all the stuff that you're doing, the labels and the website and the invite cards, do we really need this stuff? Well, you know what? We don't, but we don't want to be complacent. Well, pastor, we had this logo for 24 years before you came. And you took it away, and you got this weird orange coral thing that says NC on it. Why did you have to change? Some of us are so used to mediocrity, and God is not a mediocre God. We do not serve a mediocre God because he is not complacent. And guess what's going to happen five years from now? We're going to change that logo again. Why? Because we serve an extraordinary God, and he's always moving, with or without us. Mediocrity breeds complacency. Well, pastor, I don't, I'm just one of those guys. I just don't like winning. Why is it always about winning? I mean, Jesus paid it all. Why don't we just stop? I mean, I just, I just like, what's wrong with losing? 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25. Do you not know that in a race that all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, 
let, let me be honest with you. I know some of you guys are faster than me. But my goal is not to look left or right. It's to look at the prize and to run towards him like I'm going to win it. You got to be in it to win it. If God's going to do something special in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your finances, this is the attitude that makes a difference. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, in their diet, when they wake up, what they do, what they put in their body, who they're surrounded by, positive thinking. You guys love LeBron James. This week, Mark Wahlberg on Facebook came out and put out his schedule. Maybe some of you guys saw that. He wakes up at 2.30 in the morning. Well, pastor, there's Hollywood. They're just sitting out there. They ain't doing anything good. Well, they're waking up before us. And guess what he does at 2.30? He prays till 3.15. And then he has his pre-workout meal at 3.30. Then after the workout, he takes a shower and his post workout meal and does a little bit of work. And then he does a little bit of work and then spends time with his kids before he goes to school. It's not even seven o'clock yet. And we got people who aren't even saved living their life with purpose. And yet we have the greatest message that the world has ever seen. And yet we're just like, well, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, just take it, take it easy. If God's going to use me, he's just going to have to use this. And I know I'm a little opinionated. And I know I'm getting in a few grills today. And I know it's not super spiritual. But we have to get it in our system that if you are not practically leading your life, then how do you expect an extraordinary God to come invade your leaderless life. It doesn't happen. Ecclesiastes 9.10, I used the message version because I figured by this time in the message it's going to be a little harsh. So I said, hey, let's use the message version. It's a little fluffier. <laughs> Seize life, it says. Eat bread with gusto. Drink juice with a robust heart. Is that what it says? Drink wine. Now, I'm an Assemblies of God pastor. Just for the record, I do not drink. This is an Assemblies of God church. I'm not promoting drinking. But get the context of this passage. Oh, yes. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. This does not give you a license to go get high now. Okay? That's not what this means. Get your mind out of the gutter. Dress festively every morning. Some of you guys got that down already. Love it. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Why? Because each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. BGs, make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it and heartily 
this is your last and only chance at it. How would we live life if you knew today was your last day? How would you live the purpose that God has given you if you knew today was it? When the clock strikes midnight, you're done. Would you just sit around and do nothing? Would you try to grab it by the horns and say, let's go, God. I got 11 and a half hours starting right now. I'm going right to what God has for me. For there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you're most certainly headed. Guys, this is our one life. We have one life to make a difference in our personal lives and in each other's lives and in the world we live in. One life. We're all going to pass away one day. Let's take life by the horns and go towards all that God has so he can use our ordinary life because he is an extraordinary God. The second thing that Nehemiah understood when he was praying and seeking advice and seeking out next steps, we see in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah says this, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Notice he said that. I had not been sad in his presence. Do you know how many times I hear that people have terrible bosses? If I actually said, who is a terrible boss in this place? Some of you guys are like, would raise your hands because you're confident. You have evaluated. But notice that Nehemiah said, I had not been sad in his presence. Nehemiah took his job seriously. Nehemiah took his current position of being a cupbearer seriously. If you want promotion from God, how are you doing what you're supposed to do with what you do have right now? If you are not blooming where you're planted, do you think you would bloom somewhere else? So this is the first time that Nehemiah was sad, serving the king. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? He wasn't complaining. His face looked sad. Seeing you are not sick. Nehemiah, you're not throwing up. Nothing's going on. What's going on? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I love this commentary. It's like reading a journal. Nehemiah is saying, look, I don't want to say nothing. The king might kill me if I say I want to go back and build a wall in another province, and I'm just a cupbearer. He might kill me out of rebellion. Verse 3, he was specific, and he said, in honor and respect to a king who is not a follower of Jesus, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and his gates have been destroyed by 
fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Some of the dreams and some of the vision and some of the things in our ordinary lives that need to be straightened out may be tied to the people that aren't even Christians in your life. It's time that you look around you, that's point number two, look around you and be specific with what you need to request. You can't just pray for God, change my financial trajectory. You may actually need to say to God, God, I need to get my finances in order. I've done a budget. I need your help in this. Would you help me process the fact that I'm negative $365.52 in the hole? I don't know where it's coming from. We serve an extraordinary God, but he loves it when you are specific to him. You can't just be like, well, pastor, I got problems with spending. Well, put the credit card away. Cut it up. You, you can, scissor, plastic. Scissor wins every single time. Some of you just need to close some accounts down every time you go to a store. You're opening up for a one-time 10% discount. You don't need the 10% discount because you don't even have the other 90%. Be specific. Look around you and get to the place where you're saying to God, I, God, I need help, but be specific. You know, some of us single people in here, I want to talk to you right now. You're waiting for Prince Charming or Princess to come into your life. I believe that when you fall in love with Jesus and you become the man or woman of God that God has designed you to be, then they come looking. I know. I know. See, if it was easy, everybody would do it. I know this is challenging for me to write this, because I'm usually a happy guy that wants to get it going and tell you guys to come back next week. Now I'm scared. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Proverbs 3, verse 6 says this, in all your ways, acknowledge who? him, and he will make, you, make straight your path. See, when we acknowledge God in our finances, we acknowledge God in our relationships, we acknowledge God in our business, in our workplace, we acknowledge God, he has a way of straightening out everything that is crooked. When we go towards God, God fixes things on our behalf. That's what this verse says. So you may be here right now, and there's a lot of winding, crooked roads in your life. If you acknowledge God, in other words, be transparent before Him. Open up your life. Show Him your books. If you're a business person in here, like show Him the other book that the accountant doesn't see. Let Him be part of that. Let Him be part of your secrets. Why are you ashamed before Him? God will make your path straight. For those of us that are suffering from anxiety, and that's why, 
You don't really, you know, share much. You know, you don't really look around. It's all about you. It's all about you. Because if you share a little bit, someone's going to get in your grill or someone's going to know. You know, do not be anxious, Philippians 4, 6 says. About what? Anything. But in everything. So it's recognizing that you do may sometimes get anxious. In everything by prayer and supplication, meaning waiting on God to supply your needs. With thanksgiving, God, it's all yours. My life, it's all yours. It doesn't matter. Let your requests be made known to God. Be specific and look around you. Nehemiah was scared for his life, guys. He was a nobody. And he says, I can help my people. Me, he said, an ordinary person, if I just can ask the king one question. We can do that too today. We will partner with people in this city as a church to advance common good. You heard me. We will make an impact by partnering with food banks that are already doing what they're supposed to do. We can partner with people who are not Christian to accomplish the kingdom to advance. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. So many times our Christian bubble gets in the way. So many times we will not look around us and we are afraid, afraid of the impact that we could have. Nehemiah continues in the second part of verse 4. So as soon as the king says to him, what are you requesting? Notice how specific he gets. So I prayed to the God of heaven right then. It was probably just a whisper under his breath. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's grave, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, by the way, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Notice how specific he is. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the walls of the city and for the house that I shall Occupy. And he went for gold. Opportunity arose. The time is now. And he says, I'm going for it. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. God's favor isn't found in your gifting. Rachel, if you'd come up. 
It is found in your preparation. God's favor isn't found in your gifting. It is found in your preparation. In your finances, in your marriage, in your family, in your home, in your life. You can take it to the bank. That God's favor follows those who have ordinary lives but are prepared for God to do something supernatural. Nehemiah not only stopped at himself, he looked within himself and said, wow, I'm the cupbearer to the king. Then he didn't just look around him and he saw the king and the queen. He actually went ahead and looked beside him too. One of the names that's always never mentioned as to one of the reasons that this place called Jerusalem was rebuilt and the wall was rebuilt was the name of Asaph. In verse 8, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. Asaph was another nobody. He was just someone who was keeping of whose forest? His? The king's forest. See, some of our issues about moving forward, not moving on, moving forward lies in the fact that we do not have people in our lives, peers that know our weaknesses, strengths, and liabilities. If I was to ask you right now, who are the three people that know the secrets of your life outside of your spouse? Because we all know it's a lockdown at home. You better not be telling nobody your business. That's how marriages is, right? So it's like, I'm always trusting my spouse with all my garbage. I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking about who in your life can help you be who God has created you to be. Who's going to keep you accountable to stop spending on that credit card? So yes, you prayed about it. Yes, you said you need help about it. Who's going to keep you accountable? I want us to take a moment right now. This is practical. I didn't even do this in the first service. I want you to pray about the one, two, or three people. Somebody that the Lord can put in your life that can help you be accountable to what he's given for you to accomplish in this life. Because without that person, I'm going to be honest with you, all you may ever do is say yes to God, yes to yourself, and never see anything happen. This is why it's so important that when the enemy brings disunity within a church, it's so important as a pastor for me to break that stuff up. It's not because, because I don't want to hear any naysayers. Okay, that's not why I'm saying this. Because if you have a different opinion, I respect it, I love you, I cherish it, and that's okay to have different, different opinions. But if you're about disunity, guess what I'm going to do? I'm not going to say get out, but someone said it. That's a little mean. <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> I might bring you in, though, on some meetings. 
God wants to do something special in our lives. And it's going to take practical and spiritual. 